Hello, book fiends. Good to have you back again. Very interesting show today. We have some fresh blood for you. Oh, yeah, very interesting indie author called Joseph. You're going to meet him in just a sec. Plus, one of our all-time favourite guests who, well, you're going to meet in a minute too. Our first guest, all the way from Texas, is first time on the show, Joseph Schiller. Yeah, we just fascinating conversation pre-show maybe we'll continue that in a moment not until i introduce you to the inevitable inexorable matt schofield how fabulous that really is two brilliant guests today wouldn't be the same without you though let's go yeah and um the live audience makes everything, actually. It's in the Genius Room, if you're watching us live on YouTube now. Please give us a wave, give us a shout, especially if you're one of today's featured authors. And the first author is Jasmine. There's a name to conjure with. Haven't had a submission from Jasmine for at least a week or so. Very pleased to get another one from you, Jasmine. This is called Autumn Lupins. Autumn Lupins and its historical fantasy. And this is Jasmine's blurb. In 1601, the Scottish Highlands are home to what remains of Clan MacPhail, the descendants of the Blessed Pack, ancient wolves turned human by the moon goddess. Each full moon, they return to their beast form to remember their ancestry. Callum was adopted into this clan by Cormac, the chief's eldest son. Raised to keep their secrets, Callum holds their fate in his hands when necromancers siphon off the moon's power, reducing them all to wolves forever. And wolf pelts are worth more than their weight in gold. Do you like that setup? Do you like that blurb? Do you like the title? You've got a chance to vote on it right now in the genius room while I tell you about Jasmine. I think you probably know Jasmine quite well, but I'll still give you a little summary here. Uh, Jasmine says, I have a keen interest in world history and love to fill the gaps with magic. I'm an actor and writer. Living in Birmingham with my husband, Ben, we've acted and written together for over seven years. And our fantasy novel, The Rogue Mansa, I remember that, mm, is now on submission to publishers. While we've been waiting, I've finished off my own solo novel, How Productive You Are, and would like to get started on another. But which idea to choose? That's where I'd like your help. Autumn Lupins began as a short story and was published in the Hysteria 2020 anthology. I'd like to expand it into a novel. However, there are other pieces that I've submitted to you. Lovely Litopians, flattery. It will get you everywhere. Um, to give me an idea of what would excite you the most. Okay, well, we'll definitely give you a, a, an opinion on that. I just hope I don't annoy you with my reappearances. Absolutely not. I, I Seriously, I do encourage people to... Just keep on coming back, actually, because the more you come back, the more you get readings from the rather wonderful Emily. Autumn Lupins by Jasmine, read by Emily. The Road North from Inverness, September 1597. It was dim inside the carriage that now rocked and squawked more aggressively since leaving town. But even in this low dawn light, the small boy noticed a strange brightness in the eyes of the man opposite. Otherwise darkly bearded, an almost amber gleam shone wild and distant from his gaze. 
he had introduced himself as Cormac of Clan MacPhail. Not that young Callum had ever heard of such a clan, but then he'd insisted that the boy accustom himself to calling him father. For as of two days ago, that was what he had become. Father had seemed tense enough when they'd met in Edinburgh's at St Giles, but somehow had grown more agitated as time passed. The man kept looking into his thick tome, flicking angrily through the pages, slamming it shut with a huff. Callum didn't know what to think, and he didn't know why he had chosen him over the other foundling boys. Callum's crutches leant against the seat beside him and clacked annoyingly together with every dip of the road. Cormac was a big fellow, and upon noticing his knuckles whiten into a fist, the boy promptly separated the crutches, not wanting to antagonise him further. Callum had been riding in this man's carriage for two straight days, but still wasn't sure what kind of father he'd be, nor what sins would warrant a beating. Cormac snapped his gaze from the window to the crutches, then to the knotted trouser leg below Callum's left knee. How old did you say you were a lad? His voice was smoother than one might expect for so rugged an appearance. Uh, eleven years, sir. Do you remember anything of your parents? How tall they were? No, sir. Nothing. Hmm. Cormac returned his attention to the valley outside. Hard to say how quickly you'll grow then, and by how much. Still, he jabbed his cane against the board beneath Callum's knee, right where his shin should have been. I'll arrange for a wooden leg of sorts once we're home. I expect you'll be needing a new one every year, won't you, son? Callum knew that wasn't a question for answering, so they fell into silence again. Cormac stretched his fingers out, once more losing himself in thought. The hefty book lay beside him, and Callum craned his neck to read the title. It was a copy of the monologue. The brothers at St Giles had spoken of it. Something about witch trials, written by the king's own hand not three months hence. He'd watched his strange new father read it from cover to cover, growing more restless from each revisit. Under normal circumstances, he said suddenly, we might have ridden for a few more hours after dark this evening, seeing as Castle Craggan would be close enough come nightfall. However, I have some, some matters to address before we reach it, so I'll be leaving you in the care of my cousin's husband for the night. I shall return in the morning, and then we'll finish our journey. Callum nodded his understanding such that it was. You are to do exactly as Gavin says. Yes, sir. His face creased unexpectedly into a half-grin. Good lad. The man sighed and flexed his shoulders back and forth, as if his clothes were too tight. He huffed once, cleared his throat, and resumed watching the landscape. Callum had little idea of what to expect from the Highlands. At St Giles's he'd heard stories about the savage north, of war chiefs who could neither read nor write, nor even worship correctly. He'd always visualised a land of dark clouds, thick fog and jagged barren mountains. A land of chaos that time forgot, far from the neat and orderly stone of Edinburgh. He couldn't be sure at what point exactly they'd crossed from the lowland to the high, but no such dramatic change yet occurred. The mountains now were bigger and rougher, yes, but they were not the godless monsters he'd pictured. They were green, slope-shouldered giants, tending their vast pools of silver. These wide locks were tranquil things, and he marvelled at the sight, never knowing a world beyond those narrow city streets. The sky was clear today, the water rosy with dawn. Thank you, and for Emily fans, and who's not, really, um, it's, uh, it's good news today, because we've got another reading from Emily coming up in a moment. 
Let's look what the genii are saying. And they're very, very quick off the mark today. Uh, much faster than me, really. Chantal Jewel says, strong title. Uh, tight blurb, very intrigued. That's uh, uh, that's what seconds, really, after after seeing it. Which is one of the great things about the genius room. They just give it to you straight off the top of their head. That's what you want. Mal says, title confusing, aren't Lupin's flowers? And I was there too, but later on, as you'll see in a moment in the genius room, they explain that. I didn't get that far, actually. Neither that explaining it to me. Uh, you'll see in a moment. Pamela Jo says, excellent blurb, in my opinion. And I remember this writer. Go, Jasmine. So you've got a fan there. Uh, Dave McGuire, nice premise in the blurb. 10% shorter, and it would be amazing. Um, Carol says, retitled. Do, do Lupins maybe have a relevance to the story? I like the title, but why is it the right title? Yeah, and James says, like the title, Blurred and there's a wee bit of a trim. Okay, so that's uh, two uh, genii saying that. I'll focus on main character. And Claire says, I've read several shifter fantasies, and I like the added historical element to this one. David McGuire, the blurb took a minute to get to the exciting bit. And Johnny says, and Johnny's got it, but I didn't. Johnny uh, says, might be the lupine influence. And then Pamela Joe explains it, and, that, and, I, and then the light starts to go off my head. Um, Pamela Joe says, lupins are flowers, and lupus for wolf. I think it works. Eva says, oh dear, the format is sore. A little bit tight. Um, spacing says Johnny sounds petty, but quite important. It is important actually. So yeah, pay attention there. We want a little more uh, leading between those lines, please, Jasmine. Um, Mel says I could listen to lovely Emily forever. Absolutely. And Carol says nice for budding value of wolf pelts. Clan becoming wolves forever. Callum must save them, including his father. Is that the story? Um, Good craft, says Claire. It's immersive. Deft weaving info, info about the boy and his situation, says Pamela Joe. David says, I've forgotten to type anything since the story started. That's probably a good sign. It is, actually. Um, Woohoo, says Carol. Sounds like Cormac is about to be a wolf for the night. Wonder what he'll be up to. So they're excited, actually. This is all good stuff. I hate accents and dialogue, Claire, so it's always a hard call. Um, Scottish Twilight, says Claire, minus the vampires, possibly. It's a little convoluted, that. And Hannah, hello, Hannah, says, green slope-shouldered giants is a great description of Scottish mountains. And Hannah ought to know that. Um, Carol likes the boy, likes that the boy is crippled, makes him more interesting. And David says, maybe could have had a, could have had a sharper start. But I was swiftly caught up on it. I was there in the coach. Wow. I'm going to cut to that point to Matt. First reactions, please. Yeah, that was my reaction as well. Um, I'm a fan. I, 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 I get that Lupin's lupus and that gives us a wolfy thing. I do think it's confusing to me. And I'm yeah. not sure that's the title she wants. However... I thought the blurb was fantastic. It kind of had all the elements I look for in a blurb. Hmm. Um, I thought the writing was kind of immersive. And I love there was an undercurrent tension that was that, that played throughout the thing. And frankly, towards the end, I'm, I'm saying, you know, you know, to the author, I'm saying, screw you. Tell us what's going on, which is a good thing because I want to know. I was, I was involved. I was invested. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so well done on that. So all across the board, I went very high on this because i was impressed I, you did didn't I, you? Yeah. A, yeah but the, the title didn't hook you though did it the title was not i i would think the title needs a re rethink and maybe that's that may just be me i mean uh you know they've made it yeah. in the genius room they've made the point that it, it might work but it didn't for me yeah, well, it works for geniuses because they instantly get the uh, the connection yeah. there. It didn't work for me at all because yeah, well, I'm a sub-genius. Um, <laughs> but, 
But um, I know, I, I think that I think um, it needs, uh, needs rethinking uh, title-wise, but let's see what Joseph thinks. Okay, so I, I actually immediately understood what the author was trying to get at with Lupin's and I, and, Did you? but for me, the title, had, yeah. <clears throat> um, but for me, the title implies, or for me, it, it feels more like the title of a poem. And yeah. so I kind of expect it to be more of a flowery description of, of yeah. something. And so I, 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 it could so be I think I have different reasons for why the title needs to yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and without obviously having read the entirety of the book, I, you know, I don't know, you know, sometimes you really have to have read the entirety of a of a book, right, to really understand the full yeah. reason why the title is you know is what it is. So, I would, while I would say initially based on on that little excerpt, I would rework the title for that reason because it sounds more title of a poem mm. but i would also say i would prefer to reserve final judgment until after having read the entire book yeah yeah fair enough okay let's just come back to, uh, to you jazz for a moment and you've got to um you've got to press your voting buttons please i'll leave you alone just for a moment while you do that and cut back to the genius room um pc frontier says i think the introduction has been well written I hope the man turns into a werewolf soon. <laughs> yes. Do you remember, uh, uh, what was it, uh, A Werewolves of London? <sighs> What's that film? Yeah. Anyway, yes, I hope he does as well. Not keen on the title for this, this story of man-wolves. David says, I think the title's too clever. If anything, the wordplay works, um, but the emotional promise isn't there. Pamela J says, matters of genius once removed today. Mm. And Hannah, <laughs> Hannah says, not keen on the title Lupin's Pretty Flowers. This isn't pretty. In a good way. And Pamela J says, is the reader people who like a poetic, lyrical story or a harder tech or horror audience? I like poetic, lyrical. So, um, yeah. So I'm not... Let me just um, say a couple of things, um, Jasmine. So I'm really not sure about the um, target market here. And the first thing, any, um, any you know, uh, publishing pro, whether an agent or publisher is going to think is, uh, who can I sell this to, basically, because that's what the job's about. Um, so what's the demographic? I'm, I'm not clear about the demographic. I've got a slight YA feel to this, but, you, but you, you're not clear about that. Historical fantasy could be anything, really. So I, I need you to, to target me a little bit um, tighter in on that. Uh, one or two comparators would always be useful, actually, because they, you know, if you th- imagine it physically, uh, so you've got this, you've got your book out there, Autumn Lupins or whatever it um, eventually is called. And what's, what sits either side of it? That's very helpful, actually, again, um, for an agent to, to know or a publisher to know, because that's basically how they sell books. You know, you've got all those readers who like to buy X, Y, Z, so they'd like to buy this as well. So, you know, um, it's a little bit towards genre, I suppose, but I mean, you know, that's reality of the business. Um, it's very, very competently written as far as I'm concerned. There's no one thing that totally stands out to me. Um, and I do need that really strong hook, USP, whatever you want to call it, to be able to, you know, p- pick the phone up or whatever um, and get a few seconds of a publisher's time and say, I've got this extraordinary project by Jasmine. It's, and I need, I need that pitch there. I need that pitch. And it's not quite clear 
um, what what that pitch is at the moment because you are dealing with fairly well-trodden ground here. Um, so let's just go back and see if Joseph has managed to do... Yes, he has. Oh, my God, you've gone big on the blurb. You've gone very big on the craft. Could you, could you explain yourself, please, Joseph, on those marks? Joseph has frozen. <laughs> We're going to try and get Joseph back. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, in Texas, freezing right now in June is uh, quite, a, quite a task. <laughs> Let me, uh, this, this is what happened. This Liz live, guys. Yeah, he's coming on again. Joseph, we missed you. Where have you been? I don't know what happened. I froze up, so I had to refresh. So. Okay, that's cool. So pleased you're back with us. <gasps> because yeah. actually this show does not work with anything less than, uh, than three panelists. Um, so you, you've gone very big on the blurb, very big on the craft. Yeah. Say a few more words about that, please. Uh, I don't know. I think I like this. I like, for, first of all, I'm, I'm not a publisher, so I don't have to, I don't have to have a certain mindset in terms of what I'm looking for, for a blurb. So I just listened to it and, and took it for what it, you know, what it was and, and just enjoyed it for what it was. Right. right. Um, and then for the, and for the, for the craft, I, I resonated with the style of writing. Um, I, I feel like. I have a, not only do I have a, I think I have a similar style of writing, but I also enjoy oh. books that have that style of writing. Cool. So I, I definitely resonated. Uh, yeah. Good. All right. Well, I'm very, absolutely your cup of tea. Jasmine, I think you sold a few books today, actually. Let's go the numbers. Oh, yes. That is a very good start to the show. You got a 72, really high marks um, for blurb and craft, actually, all around. Um, I guess the undermarker is that, you know, party pooper, the agent, agent Pete, party pooper. Sorry about that. But, you know, I mean, I look at it from a slightly different point of view. I'm not hypercritical. I just, I just know how hard it is actually to, uh, to sell books for, for good money. So we are looking for exceptional, exceptional things. And I think you're nearly there. You're nearly there. When you find a book you love, gush about it. Gush.latopia.com what does that mean? Gush, dotletopia.com. What's it all about? I think you should go and have a look right now. While you do that, um, I'm going to introduce you to our second submission of the day. And this is Peter. It's from Peter Sale. Hello, Peter. Are you there? If you are, give us a wave, please, on YouTube. It's urban fantasy. Hmm, interesting. And it's called Trained in Death. All right, that's the title. Want your thoughts and reactions on the title right now, please. Trained in Death from Peter, and this is Peter's blurb. Chloe, I'm going to say Chloe, but I don't have a pronunciation guide. If there's the possibility I can get something wrong, I will do, so give me a guide, please. But I'm just going to say Chloe like Chloe. Chloe's an assassin, but when tasked to with killing this, what does that mean? Ta when tasked to with? <laughs> what is this? Is this some sort of proto-Shakespearean? When tasked with killing the socialite Ayana Silver, you didn't read it, did you? That's the thing. I know how easy it is to make these these mistakes. Actually, the thing the thing to do under these circumstances is to get somebody else to read it, because we get so word blind, don't we, to our own typos. So I know I'm, I'm not going to be too condemnatory of you, because I know exactly how hard it is to pick up your own typos. But do get someone else to read it. 
But when tasked with killing the socialite Ayana Silva, the old woman proves difficult to kill. Trained from a child, her earliest memory was being pumped full of muscle enhancers. She doesn't know her own family. No, Chloe must battle attempts. No Chloe. I think it's now Chloe. No, I'm going to say no Chloe. Must battle attempts on her own life, drug addiction, a battle with a fem femininity? What is femininity? Do you mean femininity? Because if you, if you mean femininity, you can have explain what that means because I don't know what it means. And a desire to fulfil her goal as the socialite drops the bombshell. Is this English? She knows her mother. A power struggle for Sunfall is soon at stake and Chloe must choose a side. Right, so... I don't know what to say about that, right? Um, I think I think you really need that proof, so... Not, you're not... Don't expect good marks on the board, please. I'm sorry about that. I've got, a, I've got a mark what's in front of you. Uh, what's in front of me, rather? I'm 36 years, years old, says um, Peter. And I'm currently working in healthcare which hasn't been easy with the challenges of the last couple of years and the COVID pandemic, absolutely not. And for the past couple of years, I've lived in Ellesmere Port. I've had help writing this from my wife, Charlotte, and our rescue Labrador, Podrick. Podrick. Okay. Well, Podrick's spelling, you know, this grammar maybe. Um, named after the Game of Thrones character. My writing is something that I love to do for relax. I have Crohn's disease, which often leaves me feeling exhausted and fatigued, but my brain is always working its way around my next plot. Now, you actually are going to have a, um, a special, a one-off, something we've never done before, actually, on pop-ups. We're only doing today because there's a bit of a, bit of a pop-up cock-up, actually, with the narration of this. So um, we had two, uh, two people recording the narration of this. You're so popular, actually. We had uh, two people fighting to narrate. So I was then given the choice, who, which narration am I going to use? You know, favouritism here. So eventually, what I decided to do, and I hope it works, if it doesn't, the genius room absolutely will tell me. What I eventually decided to do is to split the narration. We've never had that before. So you are going to hear Jeff... And you're going to hear Hannah. Trained in Death by Peter. Read by Jeff. Chapter 1. I ran out of the door at the top of the stairs and across the rooftop as quickly as I could, aware of the commotion that was going on behind me, shouts and screams as the men's guards chased after me. I momentarily paused scanning the roof in the blink of an eye. Nowhere to hide. Well, isn't that just fantastic? There was only one thing for it. I picked up speed and ran towards the edge and leapt as high and far as I could. The building next door was the same height and not too far away, so I knew I could easily manage it. The adapted tissue in my legs given me the spring I needed to get away from the boat behind. No way anyone else could make that leap. I've trained for this for too long. I dived as quickly as I could into a black corner, tucked myself in tightly against the wall and away from the moonlight that illuminated the rest of the rooftop. I waited. I could still the commotion over the other rooftop, commotion that was quickly turning to confusion. I could hear someone faintly barking orders. I guess they were now searching the streets for me, hopefully presuming that I had climbed down the fire escape. I shrugged it off and stayed still. It soon became peaceful, nothing to hear but the sound of my heavy but stable breathing. It wasn't supposed to end up like this. 
nine pro on a rooftop with only bird shit and Ollie Graham to keep me company until either the morning or whenever I determined it was safe. It was supposed to have been a cleaner hit. My research had been thorough. It always was. A twisted head honcher of the huge Quantum Corp Corporation had been out hiding, having a secret rendezvous with his mistresses and crucially without his entourage. He'd been on our list for at least six months and a client was getting jittery and for good reason. So, it left little old me to travel to the small backwater city he'd hold himself up in. The first part was delightfully simple. I pretended to be room service to gain entrance into his room. A slight sultry smile and despite having a mistress in the bath and another naked in his bed, the lovely gentleman couldn't help himself and I was invited in. He had a reputation and he was determined to keep it. I used sleeping potions for the two girls. They were harmless and I wasn't prepared to go any further with them. Some of the others might have killed them too, but that was not my style. Once they were soon going to be fast asleep, I struck at the mark. He was distracted by his new visitor that kept flashing a smile and hinting a promise of more. It was so easy. He had something else in his drink that he willingly got me to pour for him. A powerful aphrodisiac. Not that he needed the help that caused his heart to give way almost immediately. It was supposed to be simple with an easy getaway. He was supposed to be left alone all night. His body only discovered when his mistresses woke up in a few hours time, when I was back home and tucked up in bed. Supposed to be simple, but no. He had his entourage outside and it appeared they didn't trust the room service they hadn't vetted and so came to check on her just in case. I was interrupted by one of them who walked in on me checking his pulse to make sure he was dead. He was. And it's not a good luck when his two companions are lying unconscious and I'm the only one awake. My instincts flee out the window and through the room next door did not help either. I still felt bad for the young couple who I disturbed. Hopefully it won't take long to get over the shock. I think that worked quite well, don't you? I think it did actually. I mean, it wasn't intentional, but I think I know it's all right. Actually, we might do it again. Who, who knows? Uh, let's see what the genie eye are saying. Uh, Pamela Joe, this is about the blurb, right? So Pamela Joe says the blurb seems overworked and thus chaotic. I know this way you've rewritten it so many times that you can't even see it anymore. And absolutely right, that happens. It's kind of a word blindness. It's uh, it's disconcerting. Only thing only thing you can do then is just disengage. You've got to go disengage. We'll talk to Joseph about the minute. Um, Eva says, "Oh dear, confused blurb." Um, Hannah says, "Is English this person's second language?" And I wondered about that actually, but um, that's just the blurb. I think I think we can all agree that the writing definitely improves uh, when we get to the writing itself. In fact, actually the longer we get into it, the more better it gets, I think. Title of the pedestrian, says Mel. James says, go to the huddle for help. Yeah, that's what it's for. Um, James says, trained in death. I'm trained to make coffee. <laughs> uh, and Jay and Davis says, did Podrick type the blurb? 
Carol says, lots of tongue-in-cheek humour in character's voice. That's good. Uh, interesting contrast of plot details. Pamela Joe title is a bit on the nose and can recommend a reading programme that will read the text back to you. Very good idea. I think Word can do that now, I think, um, to help in editing your own work. And uh, Hannah says, Labradors aren't renowned for their spelling. <laughs> and grammar. <laughs> Well, Han wouldn't know about that, actually. Uh, Carol Ennis says, do you have writers' critique groups meeting in your area? That's a good question, actually. And David Maguire says, too much information in the chase sequence. It gets in the way. Claire says, I can picture the scene. And James says, format your manuscript, per manuscript 101 guidelines, please. Mel says, craft is much better than the blurb. It is, isn't it, actually? Yeah. And uh, Johnny says, mashup narration. It's the future. It might be, actually. I don't know. It might be. Some audiobooks do that really well, actually. Um, and Eva says, there's something interesting in this, but can't figure out what it is. All right. So you're going to have to uh, sort this out for us, please, Joseph. Okay. So, yeah, I think the title was a little juvenile for me um, in terms of, I mean, I just, it was just, it was too, too much of an obvious uh, mm. choice for the title. Um the blurb, I think we've already said what needs to be said about that. Um, in terms of the craft, I feel like I was hearing two completely different literary voices yeah. mixed mixed together. And I, I say that because there was some verbiage and, and word crafting that wasn't consistent throughout. So um, I also think that it kind of avoided – moments where dis description could have drawn the reader in to really develop out certain parts of the sequence of, the, of that first chapter. Yeah. Because I feel like I just within two seconds of reading it, I have already skipped through quite a bit of, of storyline without really knowing where I was, what I was doing, what I was seeing, what I heard. what. I, so I would say – it could have been slowed down quite a bit um, and developed out. Um, in terms of bang, I just didn't. It didn't catch. You can't say. So. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. You got to tell it like it is. Thank you very much. Um, the genii is still going on. Good story. This needs a stern edit, said David. Um, Pamela Joe, the voice builds the right note for this character. Right has worked hard on this opening and has a good feel for what hooks a reader. An assassin with a conscience for disturbing people, says Claire. Not sure that works. Um, David says, I don't believe the voice is a female assassin. That's the thing. I'm not sure I do either, actually. I'm sorry, he says, too many cliches. And Carl says, yeah, writing's much better than the story itself. Blurb needs work. Hannah says, something I'm thinking too. Don't think this is starting in the right place. And Chandler Jules, confusing sequence. Incredible details of uh, dosing two people. And then a third... And then guards come in dosing. Is that dosing? Do you mean dosing? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Hello, Tim. The text does need a stiff brush. Oh, yes. Everybody can benefit from that. Uh, run through it a few times. Reading aloud to yourself. Yes. Will highlight the need to delete a lot of unnecessary words. So true. PC Frontier. Sorry. Uh, for me, there was no tension in the writing. I was not keen on the first person presentation, nor the retrospective style of going back to the killing. Well, this has been better in third person, um, asks Claire. And Pamela says, I have a feeling the reader for this writer is not really anyone in the genius room, but would have 
an audience. All right. I want to talk about who that audience is in a moment. Matt. Um, yeah, I, I was I'm kind of with Joseph and I guess a little bit. The blurb obviously has editing issues, but it's also confusing to me. I didn't mm. really follow what we were going to be getting in this. Um, and we got into it and there was a there was a moment where I'm wondering, okay, is this just a really bad area, uh, really arrogant, but really crappy assassin? Or I mean, and that's the joke. And if so, I want that played out. And if this yeah. is, you know, actually a very talented assassin and this is his natural arrogance, then we have to actually see that. Um, yeah. Oh, and I just forgot. God, I just forgot the author's name. And this is horrible. Um, Discworld. Who wrote, oh, no, uh, yes, Terry. Dear old Terry. Terry, right. Yeah. So Pratchett, when he, there's a, he begins one of his books with almost this identical scene. It's oh. an assassin, a member of the Assassin's Guild running across a rooftop. Um and I'd suggest that the author take a look at that just to give him a, an idea of how this is structured. Because what we're not getting here, and, and, and you know, uh, just exactly right, there's no depth to it, right? We're, yeah. we're not, when we got to the, last time I talked about the underlying tension, kind of the undercurrent of tension in there. That didn't exist here because it was just kind of like, and then this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And it's just a guy, I, I'm not really sure where the, where the hook is, where I'm supposed to be getting feel of that I'm yeah. being compelled, drawn through this story. Yeah. Um, I, I the bang I think is worth. I, I think that there is a there. It, I I gave the bang a slightly higher rating because I think there is a market for something like this. Mm. Um, and we I saw as, as we just noted with Pratchett, he made it work. Um, it just needs some work, and this is, to me seems like an early draft that needs to be polished. Yeah. Um, before there's before we're seeing much out of it. Yeah. So. Thank you, Matt. Um, Carol says, is this murder of a playboy exec uh, pertinent to the blurb story or is it just to demonstrate Chloe was an assassin? Mm. If the latter, maybe not. Best not to start with it. Also, says uh, Pamela, in Assassin's Creed, it begins on rooftops. It does, doesn't it? So I have to go with Matt on that. It's always safe to go with Matt, I think. Um, David says, a lot of writing would be better with a self-imposed target to cut 20% of the word count. So true. Absolutely. I go on about that all the time. Um, can we it just forces you to very make... quickly. Yeah. Assassin's Creed was a really good point. I, I think it was Pamela, right? Yeah, it was. Um, Because that was what this had. This, this had a feel of... Of and I'm old, so I call it a video game. Yeah. Um, this had a feel of the Assassin's Creed game um, yeah. to it, which wasn't, which is great to play and great to to watch. But it, I needed to be, I needed more there. I needed to yeah. see this place, and I needed to feel this place and smell this place, and that wasn't going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly do in Assassin's Creed. I mean, like well, thousands of programmers and all, all continents, right. basically. That's true. That extraordinary. You are thing. seeing it, but. It really, are, yeah. yeah. Um, but you have the video in front of you, and I didn't see the video yeah. with this. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Spectre starts the rooftop chase too, says David. Um, is and PC Frontier asks a really interesting question: Is there a book market for a female assassin? Well, you know, there's such. A, this is like a subgenre. Actually, there are lots and lots of fem female assassins out there. There's tons of them. Um, I, possibly more in film than than books, but certainly some in books. Absolutely, it's not. You know, the thing. What what I need to know uh, from you, Peter, is um, what's you know what's different about this. So, 
there have been female assassins in films for decades. I mean, possibly you know, almost 100 years, maybe. Um, so I really need to know two things. I need to know, first of all, that you've, you understand that and that you, you are aware of that and therefore, and you're probably a fan of it as well, actually. That won't, won't hurt at all. Um, you don't think this is the, the very first treatise covering this topic, because it isn't. Um, so that's the first thing I need to know. The second thing I need to know is how you're moving it forwards a little bit. Because, you know, publishers like and all other humans love new things, but they don't have to be so new, they're dangerous. Like, ooh, will I take a risk on that? So all you need to be, I often say this, apologies if you heard it before, all you need to be is half a step ahead of the pack. So if you think about, you know, the subgenre of female assassins, okay, what can you do? What little twist can you give that genre that makes it sufficiently different for people to go, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That is the, is the sweet spot um, commercially. Let's look at the numbers. You've got 42. I'm going to predict, in fact, I don't need to predict anymore because the evidence is in front of us, that the blurb did let you down big time. Nevertheless, you've got 42, and more important than that, you've got the feedback from the Genius Room. That's good, isn't it? When you find a book you love, gush about it. Gush.latopia.com Yeah, going on about that. Why are we going on about that? Because we want you to do that. 30 seconds, 60 seconds max. Uh, a book, maybe something else too, if you want film. But we like books, really. Uh, you, you read this amazing book, you think it's... What do you do when you read an you, you've finished reading an amazing book? You want to tell people about it. You want to tell your friends. Sometimes you buy it and sometimes you just say, go read this amazing book. We're giving you a way to do that. You're going to be seeing these videos turning up in pop-up submissions in the next few weeks. You can send us as many as you want to. Two, three, four, a week, doesn't matter. We can take them. 30 seconds is ideal, 60, absolute max. But do it. And I'm going to, one more time, just give you the link. When you find a book you love... Gush about it. Gush.latopia.com Oh yes, gush.latopia.com and I'm going to gush a little bit over Joseph. Hello, Joseph. <laughs> I, I've wiped my sweaty chops, but I'm still probably going to slather over you a little bit because it's your first time on, on the show and my goodness gracious yes. me, you're a brave guy because you are, you know, first-generation self-published author. So let's have a look at the, the tome. Here it is, Upon the Arrival of Dawn by Joseph A. Schiller. And that's a lovely that's picture. So Let me ask you about that. Did you, is that a great cover. Isn't it a great cover? I mean, it's a great cover. Yeah, it's a great cover. <laughs> First, Matt hasn't seen that before. Instant reaction from Matt. That's not bad, is it? Well, I appreciate the reaction. Uh, I guess that's, that's what you go for, right? Mm-hmm. So is that yours? Uh so I cannot take credit for the I, I can take credit for the choice of the art. I can't take credit for the art. So okay. um, that that piece and many people may be familiar with it because it's the Flammarion. Um, uh, uh, it's a it's a medieval woodcut depicting Copernicus uh, breaking through okay. the. Proverbial glass ceiling of the universe, right? And uh, anyway, um, when you read the story, you'll understand why I chose that. But that was that, and all of the uh, panels of art in my book are all digitized medieval woodcuts depicting oh, nice. uh, angels of death, which are my my two 
main characters are angels of death. So uh, I chose since the story and the feel of the story has more is more archaic. Uh, as opposed to choosing a contemporary fantasy feeling cover, I chose something that had a more appropriate feel for the story. Cool. Very Bosch. You know, it has Hayes, that kind of. It? Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very right. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just ask you, Joseph. Um, let me yeah. just ask you. You're getting lots of lovely reactions, actually, from the genii. Thank and you. I always tell it like it is, but that's rather rather nice, actually. I mean, you probably can't see them all at the moment, but if you want to, uh, you know, uh, uh, watch it on YouTube as soon as uh, we finish them, and you'll, you'll get some interesting yep. uh, interesting stuff there. So uh, give us a story. Why, um, why, this, why this book and why self-published? Okay. So this story, um, like the, our, our, your first um, review that we did, the, the woman that said it started off as a short story, yeah, this started off as a short story. So I have predominantly, for past several uh, decades, written short stories. Uh, that's that's what I wrote. And okay. chapter what's now chapter three is a short story. But nor instead of the story finding a natural ending as it traditionally does with my short stories, I just kept it just lingered in my mind, and I just and it kind of kept morphing into something bigger and bigger and. Uh. And it just it, it it kind of took a life of its own, and um, so so that's why it because it, it needed it needed to be told, it needed to be added upon and expanded, and um, uh, and why self publishing is largely because when I did my due diligence, um, and I, I talked to authors both published and unpublished, and I talked to uh, you know, and I I went online and I I looked at blog after blog, podcast after podcast, and, you know, the whole, I, I mean, I, yeah. and ultimately I came to a conclusion that, um, that not only did I have the time and the energy to do it myself yeah. and that, and not, not, and not just post publication, but like the marketing and all that, like I have the time, I have the energy, I have the support from my wife. Um, and, Self-publication kind of checked more boxes, if you will, for me. Did you even think about going the traditional route? I'm really interested in that. Did you think about sending it to, you know, weird, warped people like me? I did, and I have. So I even, you know, because you can still. So, um, I have. I have not ever received any response from any publisher. Sorry about that. And well, I mean, let. Not all publishers, I think, feel like they need to. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you know they, they. I imagine they get thousands of submissions oh, on a monthly basis. Well, yeah. So, so I, I don't, I don't judge or fault anyone for not being able to respond to me personally and under, you know. But um, yeah. I mean, I, th I think. So you just wanted to get things too. going, basically. I just, I'm sorry to interrupt because we could talk to you all, yeah. all evening. I want to ask you yeah, uh, what Claire's just asked in the genius room, which is what marketing strategies did you use, Joseph? Um, I do a bit of social media, uh, although I haven't found much success with that. Um, I honestly, um, I, I also blend in podcasts, I blend in uh, 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 blogs. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of in-person events, a lot. Right. I mean, I, I'm 
I probably, you know, minus this weekend because it's Father's Day weekend, um, I probably have at least one event every weekend and have for a year. Wow. Um, yeah. And sometimes two. Um, and I have had mo- most of my success has been the in-person events. That's very interesting. So um, I want to follow through on that. So typically, where would an event be? And uh, what's the format of it? Okay. So when I got started, um, I did a Comic-Con by really kind of, I was invited. Yeah. One of my buddies uh, runs one. He had an opening. He heard, you know, he saw, I had posted that my book was coming out. He said, listen, I got this opening. I really didn't think that I was a fit for it. But he said, listen, I've got several other fantasy sci-fi authors that come to these things. Mm. You, you need to come try it out. And, it, mm. and, and so he kind of he, – he really helped me open my mind. And another buddy of mine is a, uh, manages a bar over here in downtown Houston. And he's like, listen, we do this arts um, oh, exhibit thing every, every Friday night. Great idea. And you know, local artists come. And he's like, yeah. come. So yeah. it, I, I've done libraries. I've done I've – done, um, uh, bookstores. I've done pop-up markets. I've done uh, uh, farmers markets. I've, done, you know, I've done I've, book fair. I mean, yeah. What do you, what what sort of what happens in an event? Just briefly tell us what. How do you structure it? Um, it's really more free free flowing. Where someone comes up, they they have you know they have a they they seem to have an interest. I engage them in a conversation, and you know um, I may ask them you know what their personal interests are oh, literary wow. it's handsome it's real handsome um, it is it yeah. is okay. but but i but i enjoy i enjoy the conversation i enjoy yeah. the interaction um I, for me when i post on social media i mean i know i i i, I do get some draw from that but i don't i feel so detached from that um so yeah um, okay, so what you're doing is uh, is really valuable, I think. But it's very, very, very. Uh, you know, you, I mean, you're young. You've got the energy. Uh, you've got the uh, the uh, funny tea from South America, which is all great. Um, <laughs> and what you're doing really is building an audience. So I think once once people have ha- actually met you and got a book from you and probably got it signed as well, you'll be a special person, yep. and they will want to buy your next one. Um, and you know, they'll want to stay in touch actually. So I think it's, it's, it's a good foundation, but it's hard work. Uh, Claire says, wow, so interesting. Well done, Joseph. And thank you for the response. Yeah. Thank you very much, Joseph. Um, we'll try and get a bit more from you because I know lots and lots of people have got lots of questions to ask about this. Cause this is, it's the wave of the future guys, actually. Um, it is, and you know, Lutopia is agnostic now, whether it's traditional publishing or self-publishing, we want to help everyone go whichever way is the most appropriate um, for them. Just want to ask you final actually, do you have any tips um, for people who may be thinking about going down this route, author apps, tools, resources, anything like that, something that's been really useful to you and you just want to share with us? Wow. Um, yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. that that's, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, I would. Oh. I, I would. I would say. I would say this. I. I would say I, not a tool, not an app. You really have to be patient with yourself. Yeah, you really have to. Like, you can't. You know, there's no. Here, here's the thing. There's no reason to rush any aspect of it. No, there's. 
and one of the you know when, when you're self-publishing there's no one saying you have to have a deadline for any aspect of what you're doing mm-hmm. um you know if you're you know you just have to so you just have to be patient with yourself and 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 allow yourself to you know if to get things done when you're able to um yes. you know if if something just doesn't feel right then yeah. t- take a moment step yeah. back and just like say okay that. i'm gonna i'm gonna you know i mean it and, also you allows know, you to, people- to produce unreasonably good stuff because you know there's there's work to yeah. to to your level and that's more likely i think to actually to stand head and shoulders above the crowd i think that's that's very very good advice actually Jess. i would also say uh soliciting beta readers Oh, you know, as many mm-hmm. as many as you can. Be. And mm-hmm. by the way, that's that's not necessarily just for self-publishing. I would say traditional, you know, before yeah, you totally. before. Any, yeah. Yeah. So I would say beta readers because, yeah. you know, you could get 10 different perspectives and all of those are valid. Yeah. All of them are have have, you know, you can you can incorporate and, and draw in on those um, to really, I guess, create a more fulfilled yeah. end product. Yeah. You know? Yeah, would you would you ever consider um, alpha readers? Are they too too dominant for you? It's a joke. It's a joke. It's my warped British sense of humour. Shut up, Cox. Um, but don't shut up, Joseph. Please, we're delighted to have you on the show. And here we are, submission number three today. This is from Ruth. Are you there, Ruth? Not once, yes, twice, or definitely. Children's 9 Plus. Oh, I like that. Glue. There's a title, all right? First reactions to that title, please. Do you like it? Glue. Hmm. Uh, it's a QR code there, too. So there is a link for you adventurous types who want to scan that and go off to whatever corner of the internet Ruth wants to send you to. Remember to come back here, though, please. This is uh, Ruth's blurb. There's no child of Prague in our house. No pictures of Jesus or statues of Mary. Like there is where my father grew up. Our walls are bare and patient when we run into them with our open sesame. Glue tells the story of a young girl's unconventional childhood in rural Ireland of the 1980s and her attempts to come to terms with the death in the family. We are introduced to her eccentric father, absent-minded mother, and her paternal grandmother, who is the one grounded presence in the family. The setting and tone of Claire Keegan's Foster meets the vignette style of Sarah Crossan's The Weight of Water. We've gone a bit off the blurb here. In this coming-of-age story that gradually makes sense of family, identity, and the impact that a death in the family can have on those key relationships and the meaning of home. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah, let me uh, tell everyone about you. Glue by Ruth, read by Emily. One. Aftermath. The North. The car is dark, but for the amber light of the radio, and warm with the weight of our bodies. We are going up north. To our aunt who talks with her hands. To our uncle who laughs in the silences takes loud sups from his beer can and sets each one down with a clatter opposite the cups of tea that steam circles into the mahogany coffee table. He goes deep sea diving, our uncle. When he comes back up, his breathing comes easier, but careful not to stay down too long. 
The engine fades into a soft, low growl as my father slows the car into the queue at the border crossing. I wipe my breath from the window pane with my forefinger, tracing the rain that barrels up against the glass. The baby sleeps slack-jawed against the side of his carrier, his chin shining with drool. I wipe some of it away with his white cotton bib, the red rim curling up at the edges around the faded baby ducks. The string of rear lights grows shorter, and my father's shoulders pull his woolen jumper taut across his back. My mother's hand passes imperceptibly onto his left leg and rests there, just above his knee that sits pointed and thin against the underbelly of the dashboard. He turns the hum of the radio down, and now I can hear my heartbeat in my ears. We are next in line. I begin searching through my pockets as we roll forward to fill the space of the car ahead, whose rear lights are disappearing into the darkness. We are flanked on both sides by figures in bulky uniforms and long, hungry fingers of torchlight. My father winds his window down, and we sit with the wind howling into the car. I shake the last pocket in my jacket and I find it. I knew it was there. The baby stirs in the seat, taking short gulps of air, yawns and settles back to sleep again. Beyond him, the dark outline of my brother's legs are leaning against his door, rocking in time with the engine. My mother's hand stays where it is as a Northern Irish accent follows the wind into the gap of my father's window and asks, where is he going and where has he come from? My father clears his throat and answers the face that is not much older than he is. But it is stormy out and the soldier cannot hear and he shines the light of his torch up close to my father's face and away from the heavy angles of the gun he carries across his chest. I close my hand around my cross as he asks him again and my father's woolen jumper grows tighter and he raises his voice, shouting his answer into the wind. This time, the light moves over to my mother, whose short curls leap and dart around her neck, but her head and her hand will stay still. It moves in across the back seat, flashing over our faces, and I close my eyes, willing it to move on, and feel the stir of anger in my belly. What did we do? The light continues on into the boot, lingering over the bags that are swollen with clothes and food. The officer waves us on and we can breathe again. My father winds his window back up and my mother reaches back and wipes the baby's nose clean. He stirs again, hiccups, and falls back asleep. My mother's hand pats my father's leg twice and turns up the murmur of the radio. But my brother's legs continue to rock and my fingertips continue to squeeze and search the cross that once belonged to her. No man's land. We didn't always live in the big room. Before my baby brother came, we ran through it every morning to get to the kitchen, where we really lived. Before the kitchen, there was a caravan that sat squatting on the front lawn. That is all there was when they first came here, my mother and father, a half acre of land living in its own company. Thank you. Um, so, that was a cock's up. I, I uh, pressed one button. Sorry about that. Um... So I'm not going to read all of your bio, Ruth, um, because basically it's just a list of prizes you won and courses you've been on and so on. Um, and I'm just going to tell you actually about that. You are here. <laughs> okay. Unlock your creative power. <laughs> is, is that a pseudonym you use? <laughs> I'd like to know who that is, actually. Is that Ruth? Is it? Say, say yes, I'm Ruth or whatever. Unlock your kid. Um, so I'm just going to tell you about the, um, the least I can do, actually, after having pressed the wrong button. Um, 
the what you've given me here is is a CV, and it's okay, but it's not actually going to do the job. Um, you're not applying. For, you're not applying for a job here. It is. Hello, Ruth. Unlock your creative power. Good. Uh, UYCP. I'm going to call you. Um, you don't need to, to give all this. Yeah, I think it's the thing that jumps out is you've got an MA in creative writing. That's okay because in any case, you know, you're really serious about this, and that that helps. But we do need to to position you. There's absolutely no personal information there at all. Possibly because you're a bit shy, actually, and that's fine. But what I'm looking for is something something that, that accurately says what it is that's special about you. And think about it this, this way, you know, if you get an, an agent on board, you've got a publisher on board, how are they going to sell you? What is it that's unique about you? What experiences have you had? What strange things have happened to you? And just that kind of stuff, it, it makes a personal connection. And that's really what you're trying to do in the, the, the biographical note rather than just a list of awards and competitions and stuff like that, which we do see a lot and doesn't count for anything because it doesn't give you brownie points in, in this area. It's the writing. That's all that counts. So hope, hopefully that's um, of use to you and that's by way of a, an apology for pushing the wrong button there. Um, let's have a look. Dang. Second time, cops. All right, so... <laughs> So there we go. Looks like you got 65 already, actually. And um, hopefully most people's voice, uh, votes are in. We don't know if they are or not, but we're going to... I'm all over the place today. We're going to see what the genii is saying. Taking it from the top, Carol says, I like the title. Sticky, in a nice way. <laughs> uh, Pamela Jo says, yeah, it sticks to the mind. Depends on the story. Claire says, I like the title. Uh, will children understand the reference to Child of Prague? I don't think they will. I didn't. I had to look that up. I'd never heard of it before. Um, Mel loves the title, and Mel knows what she's doing in terms of titles. One word can say it all. How true that is. Uh, David says, title stands out a mile for 9+. Love it. The blurb is not a blurb, though, which is true. Hannah says, ah, long because it's not a blurb. Yeah. Mel says, blurb needs an edit, but there is a strong story there. Um, Carol says, blurb isn't really a blurb. Better to give some story and show what it feels like to read instead of telling about the story. Very good advice, Carol. Thank you. Johnny says, I know Ruth's brother, uh, Rick. That would be Rick O'Shea. Sorry, I'll get my coat. But he says, I like the sound of this, evokes my childhood. And Pamela Joe says, this is a pitch instead of a blurb. Uh, blurb. Uh, Blurb, you want what the reader will see on the back of the book. Yeah. Uh, what will make us open the book and read the first pages. And Hannah says, a bit too much spacing on the manuscript. Is it slightly too much letting? This, I've, I've done this. Um, yeah, this thing. Okay. Uh, it's on YouTube, actually. So and it's free. So just have a look at that. And that actually does go into um, things like oh, typefaces and the sort of letting you should use. And just have a look at that. Hopefully it'll be useful to you. Um, our first three sentences got a hook for readers at nine years old, says Carol. That is my bone to pick with, with you on this, actually. Uh, Hannah says, great descriptive sentences. I'm drawn in. Um, and Claire says, this isn't nine plus. It's much older. Right. So, Matt, please. Yeah, that's where I was going to go first on this as well. I, this is a very tough sell, I think, because this is, people had mentioned in the Genius Room, they'd mentioned um, uh, middle grade, but this is younger than middle grade, nine plus. So, um, you know, because uh, what middle grade is like 12, yeah. 11, 12, 13, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is like 
chapter book age, and this is a real tough ask on that. I thought the 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 problems I had with the blurb um, were the same thing. Also, the, the the last bit of the blurb can be whacked off, and the beginning of the blurb is intriguing writing, but I'm not sure it's selling this book in particular. So I'm not sure this works as a blurb. Yes. Um, the craft is lovely. This is lyrical, beautiful writing. It mm. is not. It's not first chapter book um, writing, though. It's it's got to be aimed at a high, at, a, at an older audience. Um, I think there's bang here, but I'm not really sure where we're going um, because I don't think the, the blurb told us that well enough. And um, this could be this could be quite substantial. I think the blurb needs a real re- rework, and that might increase the bang in my mind, but. Yeah. Beautiful writing. I there's a couple. The, the the title I had one problem with. I I can't get Irvin Welsh out of my mind when I hear glue, and oh. I know that. Um. And my so my first thought was, oh, this is like a a, a nine year old version of that. And then I'm thinking, well, Jeez. that is a really bad idea. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> oh God! What are we so, this is um, honest, I mean, imminent autodestruct, <laughs> isn't it? Really, God, dear. Right. So, um, but uh, you know, many books have the same title, so that that it can work out. I guess it's got kind of the same. I'm guessing it has kind of that same kind of structure of the things that hold us together. Um, and yeah, the whole the the, the primary credit um, critique I have of this is just it, it doesn't seem on target. Yeah. So, yeah. and I'm not sh- this. I guess can work as because this can work as. Uh, YA, I think, um, but I'm not really sure it's not skewing older than that. Yeah, I think. But it is. maybe I'm wrong. But, no, I I agree. Those are my instincts as well. As I pick it up from the um, Johnny says, I'm a tad older than nine, really, uh, and I'd read on the writing really sings for me. And I think I think we've we've picked up what's going on here actually, Ruth. Um, or as you like to call yourself, uh, creative, uh, creative, whatever. I've forgotten what, you, what it is, actually. We just call you Ruth. Um, this is wonderful writing, says Mel. Brilliant. And again, coming from Mel, that really means something. Carol says, lots of atmospheric description sets initial scene, including tension and suspense. The match is <coughs> what's going on, excuse me. Claire says, good craft, but I don't know what the story is from the blurb, the conflict stakes, etc. And David says, I love middle grey writing that doesn't assume the reader needs it oversimplified. This would sit well alongside October, October. Interesting. So we've got a slightly, slightly dissenting uh, voice there. Eva says, writing good could be older than 9 plus, which is pretty much what most people have said. Pamela Jo says, this is very Irish in style. It would be recognised and sell better in Ireland than elsewhere. Maybe look for a publisher there first. Probably good advice. Nice writing, says Johnny. Good scene depiction. Very much evocative of my youth. Wow. Joseph. Okay. So I gave... Okay. I, I do know that there's precedence for books having the same title as others. However, I feel like in given the opportunity, you should not do that. And yeah. as soon as I saw the title, like uh, uh, I, I, I like I like minded you know, I, again. I have the book over on my bookshelf right now. So um, yeah, the great Irvin Welsh. You can't you 
you don't copy his titles, please. Um, yeah. Do your it's, own. it's just confusing. It's going to be difficult um, marketing to do that, isn't it, really? It really is, mm. especially when, if, if anyone's familiar enough, they're going to be like, mm, is this somehow connected? But, mm. um, yeah, just don't, especially since he's, you know, he's well-read in the British Isles um, yeah. where he's, you know, as a Scotch, uh, Scotsman. Um, anyway. I think I think the word is Scottish. I think, not Scottish. that I want to correct someone as eminent as you, Joseph, but I suspect it would no, 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 Scottish no, no. instead of Scotch, which I believe <laughs> is some sort of drink they have. Well, I think Scotchman, Scotchman. So, but um, okay, all right, fair enough. But, in, but anyway, um, but yeah, um, yeah, no, no, no. Um, but yeah, no, I I think that the writing I, I have to I have to concur. I think that the writing was brilliant. Um, I very very poetic. Very, I, I just I love the prose. I I think that yeah. Unfortunately, the blurb, you know, doesn't do it. But yeah, when, once you start, once you start reading, I think that you can appreciate every bit of what she's writing. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I so agree with that. And more more comments from the, the ever wise and knowledgeable genii. Um, Claire says I've taught very bright eleven-year-olds who can access this. Otherwise, it's for teens or older. Hannah says, "Yeah, I'd go for teens." Y.A. Based on the introduction, says Peace of Frontier. I think this story is for an older age group. We all are saying that really. It's nothing like the books my sons like to read at nine to eleven. Seems a bit gloomy. Just a bit gloomy. Uh, Pamela J says, "Even though very bright kids could read this, I don't think would read on. There's just enough stuff in there to catch them." It's interesting. Johnny, who was kind of slightly towards the other end of the age spectrum, he really liked this. He sort of and, uh, when you get that reaction from someone and say, "Yeah, it reminds me of my childhood," I think you've got a sale. Actually, so consider that as market research. There's just enough stuff in there, says uh, PGI, to catch them. No real stakes. Why would you want to choose kids as your reader instead of making this a fiction memoir? I think that's a very good question. I'd like to know your answer because you're with us right now, aren't you, Ruth? So come out from behind the sofa and answer that. Actually, um, what was the what was the market for? What was the the um, genre for um, uh, Angela's Ashes? Um, wasn't YA, was it? Couldn't have been. I don't think it was. No. If it was, then <laughs> no. But this seems to kind of this fit on the shelf next to that. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's it's a, not memoir. That's a very good comp, actually. Yes. See, you got you got brilliant advice today, actually, Ruth. Um, let's just try to dash the end. Um, middle age, nine to twelve, says David. Typically, Hannah. Yeah, I'd go for uh, twelve plus. Uh, says Hannah, or adult, of course. I hope there are dilemmas throughout this story. The blurb gave no clues, says Claire. Uh, Martin. Hello, Martin. Another one of our distinguished team of narrators, actually. Um, you can see here, voice.litopia.com. That is Martin down there on the left-hand side, in fact. I think he's got his, uh, his uh, stripe on there, hasn't he? Um, yeah, you can hear Martin many times, actually, on, uh, on pop-ups. Um, let me just come back to this. Uh, Martin says, I think the protagonist should be called Harold Dyte. No, 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 Martin. No, no, no. I know what you're saying. Uh, the blurb also made me think of Angela Ashes, says uh, VA. Thank you, VA. VA. So it backs up what uh, Matt just said. Uh, Dave McGuire says, the good number of kids 10 plus who feel patronised by many uh, middle grade books. So I love books that challenge them. Yes, me too, actually. In fact, 
You know, when, when I was when I was a kid reading, I didn't know there was such a thing as middle grade. I just pulled books off the bookshelf and read them. Actually, I'm kind of against um, because of that. I'm against. Uh, um, age groups, actually. I love your creative power. Ruth says, I'd be happy to sell it as a fiction my mark will write, like an old autobiographical novel. I just added middle grade because that's the age of the protagonist. Ah! <laughs> okay. Right. Thank you very much for, for that, Ruth, too. Thank you for saying it's great advice, because it is. Um, um, yeah, Pamela J says, yeah, that's why I think you and your contemporaries... Um, uh, are the like Johnny are the, are the are the market? This is quintessentially Irish, says uh, says Pamela. Um, I liked uh, the blend of tense scene and world building. Oh gosh, there's so many other comments here. Uh, all right, so they're, they're picking up something. I always get right over the coals here. So Hannah says Scotchmen are those who linger in bars, right? Uh, or only drink Glenfiddie. I think I've said that correctly. Uh, Angela's ashes uh, confirms, uh, Hannah confirms, is actually added, of course it is. And Mel says, Scotch is an adjective in English, meaning of or from Scotland. Oh, right. Slap risks. Uh, risks. Many Scots dislike the term Scotch, and some consider it offensive. The modern usage in Scotland is Scottish or Scots. And the word Scotch is now only applied to specific products, mostly food or drink, much such as Scotch whiskey, Scotch pie or Scotch broth for all my fellow North Americans. Well, you're well and truly told off there, Joseph. Yes, good. <laughs> and I was more or less right, which doesn't happen very much. Uh, but, but I'm hearing you say they're now making pie out of Scotch. Yes, they are. <laughs> it's a challenge, isn't it? But if anyone can do it, they can do it north of the border, I'm sure. Craving uh, pie. Yeah, immense uh, resources there. And not little money. I think they pretty much invented the, the banking industry too, actually. Um, just, let's just... Uh, Mel, great to hear live feedback from your authors. Yeah, it does. Explains a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, it really does. Uh, Hannah says, where the crawdads sing has had a protagonist that starts age seven, but is an adult novel. That's a very interesting comp as well, actually, Hannah. Think about that, Ruth. Think about that. Yeah, interesting. Um, good, right, so, uh, well, we should see the numbers. You've got a 64. Uh, how does that break down? It breaks down because Joseph didn't like your title, um, and most of us were not, in fact, I'm, I'm the person who gave you maximum marks for the blurb, which really I shouldn't have done, but it's because I really like the, the craft. And of, the, of those two things, right, so if you, if you came up with a fantastic concept but you couldn't write for, for Toffee, that's a real, that's a real problem. But if you come up with a concept that hasn't quite reached, uh, reached its market in terms of, you know, you haven't quite defined who the reader is, but you can really write, which is uh, your case, actually, Ruth, much less of a problem. Much less of a problem. When you find a book you love, gush about it. Gush.latopia.com yeah, come on, come on. We need we need your gushes. We need a lot of them because we're going to pack them into the show, actually, uh, starting in a few weeks' time. So don't be backward and coming forward. You, you, you've read something you love. Let us know and the whole world know about it. 30 seconds is good, uh, 60 seconds maximum. So here we are with final submission of the day. It comes from Nori. It's a longish title, but very short blurb. Requiem for the Underground. Upmarket thriller. None of your cheap, trashy thrillers. Upmarket thriller from Nori. This is blurb. A woman has woken from hypnotic trance, remembers the first 16 years of her life, and realises that her next assassination target 
is her sister. Isn't that funny, actually? We have not planned this. <laughs> seems like we've got quite a lot of female assassins on today's show. I don't know why that happens, but it does happen. Um, so let me tell everybody about you and get you. are very, very succinct, actually. I rather like that, actually, because sometimes we... You know, the blurbs go on and the bios go on. But actually, very short blurb, very short bio. Lived and worked in Central Europe for 30 years. Hungary, Poland, Romania. But originally Scottish. Not Scotch. Scottish. And started seriously writing novels 10 years ago. Serious writer of novels. You're going to get a very serious reading here from the one lonely K. Requiem for the Underground by Norrie Sinclair Read by Kay Chapter 1 Harley Street, London, June 2019 Feet firmly planted in front of the door, Isabella reached for the handle, grasped it, twisted and pulled, but the door remained stubbornly shut. She tried again, twisted harder this time, yet the handle slid from her grasp. I can't open it. Yes, you can, said the voice, soft but insistent. Look about you. What do you see? Blackness surrounded her. Nothing was visible besides the wooden door and its stubborn metal handle. Only darkness. You don't see a wall. If there's a door, there must be a wall. A door has to have something behind it. I'm sure there must be a wall, Isabella. Reaching her pale, bare arms upwards, she splayed her hands on either side of the door's frame and pressed forward, ready to pull herself back the moment she sunk into the darkness. To her surprise, Isabella's fingers pressed against a hard surface, and as they made contact, red splotches appeared around her fingertips, growing, merging, spreading, forming blocks faster and further, outwards and upwards, until a red brick wall reached as far up and across as she could see. There is a wall. Good, very good. Why don't you try the door again? This time, as Isabella tugged on the door, she made no resistance, and heart racing, she felt it give, a brilliant glow spilling around the frame. There's something inside, she said, transfixed. What do you see? I can't open it further. What do you mean, you can't? I don't want to. There's nothing to be afraid of. Remember, you're here with me. Eyes half closed, knuckles whitening on its handle, Isabella drew the door towards her and a half-familiar smell spilled into the air. What do you see? I smell something I don't like. Open your eyes, Isabella, the voice said, and tell me what you see. Isabella took in the room before her, long and narrow, high white walls seamed with cracks, and at the far end of the room a bed, blonde straggly hair spread across its pillow. A white room with a bed. Someone's in the bed. A girl or a woman, she said. The smell of bleach now unmistakable. There's a metal stand, tubes going into her arm. Who is in the bed, said the voice. I don't know. Not sure if I want to know. But that's why we're here. You want to be here. You need to find the truth. Take the first step. The next will be easier. Unable to take her eyes from the blonde hair on the pillow, Isabella slid her right foot into the room, every nerve in her body tingling, fascination overcoming fear. But as she took the next step, something caught her eye. I see another door. 
Ignore it. It's not important. Keep walking toward the bed. Isabella took a second tentative step forward, then another. The upturned, partly covered face of a girl became visible, eyes closed, skin so white as to be almost translucent. Isabella edged alongside the bed, her desire to brush the hair from the girl's face overcome by the numbness that seized her. It is me, she said. It's meant to be you. That's why we're here. Now step inside. Step inside how? What do you mean? asked Isabella. Just do it, said the voice. Chapter 2 Where am I? Open your eyes. What's happened to me? What do you see now? The ceiling, bright lights, everything's white, but, but I can't move. Isabella tried to raise her legs, her arms, her head. Nothing, not even a twitch. I don't like this, get me out. Stay calm. Remember, we're here together and you're going to tell me what happens next. What happens next? Nothing's happening. I told you, I can't move. A handle turned. A door clicked open. Footsteps clack-clacked across the floor towards the bed. There's someone here. Don't be afraid. They can't hurt you. Can you see them? Helpless and immobile, Isabella's imagination went into overdrive. They were going to hurt her. They were going to kill her. Unable to hold herself back, she opened her mouth and screamed. No one can hear you, Isabella. Just tell me what you see, the voice said. Thank you, Kay. Another treat, actually. Um, like all non-arrivals, I just, I, could, I just want, I want them to do like a 12-hour audio book each one. Just sit down and listen to it. I really would. Doesn't really. I don't care what it's about. I just listen to it. <laughs> Let's see what the uh, genii are saying. Oh, they're saying lots of good things. David says, "Oh, this blurb is an exercise, and less is more." Eva says, "Striking blurb." Mel says, "Blurb is bang, but lacking a bit of context." Hannah says, "Title intriguing, like the blurb too." Carol says, "I like Requiem for." And dual meaning inferred by the underground. Yeah, there is there. There is there, isn't like six feet under sort of thing. Uh, Claire says, I agree, craft and bank, title and blur, but easy fixes. That's apropos comment made by David. The title might make me pick it up, depending what shelf it was on, says Pamela. Um, Johnny, Misery Memoirs. Yeah, we're talking about the previous, actually. Pamela Joe says, uh, for this, for me, this is not the place to start a thriller. I need to see more at the opening. If I'm this confused, I put the book down. Uh, and Carol says, Ew, for some reason I'm hearing the voice of Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> creepy, creepy opening, says uh, Carol continues to say, reminds me of ending of Behind Her Eyes. Scary stuff. Uh, David says, punctuation issues are really distracting me. And Claire says, quite like this opening scene of Hypnosis. James says, I get the setup. Um, but we need to get into the story quicker. Enough with the wall and the door. And Hannah says, I like this. Could do with an edit. There's a fair bit of repetition. I think this opening could do with a faster pace. Uh, I'm engaged. I want to read on, says Claire. And James says, the door, the wall, the bed, oh my. Mel um, says, extremely well written, but something is missing for me. Um, I think that's my comment too, and I'm going to try and pin down what that thing is that's, that's missing. But... Let's see what Joseph thought. 
Okay, so title, I, I, there, I, I can't put my finger on why it doesn't do it for me, but it just doesn't. doesn't. That's fine. Yeah. It doesn't. Um, blurb, I, I, I have to have something more than that. Um, and the craft, it, I appreciate the direction that the author is going. And I, 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 I can kind of feel maybe what they're trying to, the problem for me is it's too conversational. Mm. It, it's too choppy. It's too conversational. There's not enough. Um, she's, I need, I need there to be some building of, of what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what I'm hearing, what I'm experiencing. I need, I need that. Mm. I need to, I need that built for me. Um, it's too, it's, too much of an assumption that I know what I'm, I'm supposed yeah. to, you know, to feel. Um, and therefore I think for me, unfortunately there's not much to draw me in. Um, right. yeah. Good. All right. Thank you very much, Joseph. Uh, back to the genii. And oh, I like this. I like this says Tim. Hello, Tim. I'm intrigued by who the voice is, but want to get further into the story faster. Yeah, I think that's essential, actually, if we're not to put it down. Claire says, I like the pace of this. It builds up the tension. Uh, Carol says, I think readers will be hooked. Not really my kind of book, but I'm more the real life, especially psychological thriller type reader. Is this supernatural horror? Pamela uh, Joe says, maybe if I had more information as to what was going on, I'd be more likely to hang in. But I just get pedestrian cliche therapy session. And uh, I can't feel the emotions. And you've, you've, I noted down what you said previously. You've, I think you've, for me, you've hit, hit the nail on the head. There. I can't feel the emotions. I see them on the page, wonder why I should care. Every writer needs to write that comment down and put it over their writing desk. What is in it for me to make me care? You absolutely got it right, Anne. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Well written and sinister, says Johnny. Competently rendered. Uh, Mal says needs a setup to make us care about the protagonist. And I think that's absolutely right. And Carol says, hmm, I'm a retired therapist. Everyone's in the in the genius room. You know, it doesn't matter what you're looking for. Um, we've got one of them there somewhere. I'm a retired therapist for trauma survivors, but never worked with hypnotism or regression, not my approach. So I didn't recognize the voice as a therapist. Interesting. Matt. Yeah, I mean, I had some of the, the same issues. Um, Requiem for the Underground is, you know, 24 letters. Um, that's a lot for a cover. That's a, I mean, if you're going to get published in coffee book fashion, I suppose it's, it's going to work. But on a paperback, uh, it's really long. Yeah. And... You know, we've seen, it makes me think immediately of Requiem for a Dream and these sorts of things. So it's not something we haven't seen before. So it didn't stand out as unique. Mm. And it just seems too long to not be something special. And I don't see it as anything particularly special. Mm. The blurb left me wondering what I would be reading. And I, I like the concept that was in this blurb. I just don't really, I didn't really have a full understanding of where we were going from this. I very much liked the craft. I thought this was, again, somebody who really had a good, a, a nice way with words. That said, there were issues here. This is a thriller, and it wasn't thrilling. It felt gothic to me, you know? I was pretty convinced this was a vampire, 
assassin at some point, which is yes. a cool idea. Yeah, I am. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> totally go for that. I went, I'll read that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I just didn't, I, I wasn't really, I mean, there's a, there's a wonderful Ursula K. Le Guin um, short story that begins in kind of the same manner that this began. It's one of the great opening lines of a book. It's something like, or of a short story. It's like, uh, the, the floor is cold and clammy. The, the room was dark and stinky. That's all I knew. And then, so you're discovering the world with the character, but we didn't really go through that progression with her. We just kind of had this, I, by the end, I didn't. I didn't want to be confused as the reader. The the person, the character, can be confused. But I, I kind of wanted to know what was. I wanted to be let in on the joke and know what was going on. Um, that was so baffling here. And uh, you know, Carol had mentioned that this was regression therapy, and uh, it didn't even seem quite like that to me. So yeah. I was a little bit. I was a little bit um, lost, um, and which which is why I, I didn't think I didn't see much bang. Yes. in this because I didn't feel that it was showing us a reason to you know yeah, it, it's not there was no wow it. factor yeah yeah, a wow factor yes that's what we're looking for that's, that's <laughs> Matt's wow factor has just gone off somewhere it'll be back I'm sure um, let's see what the uh, genie I concluding PC Frontier says a confusing start for me who is talking to Isabella too much about the doors where is the thriller story uh, it's a cliche scene, says PJ with a therapist and trauma survivor. And Hannah says, if that voice is a therapist, I'd be running a mile. <laughs> and Claire disagrees. I don't need to care at this stage, just be intrigued. And I think that's very interesting, actually, because what I'm talking about is some kind of emotional reaction, basically. Oh, cookies, as I like to call them. So, I mean, you will get a cookie if we just if we know a little bit about either of them, if there's something that just makes us invest in them. That's one way of doing it. There are other ways of doing it too, actually, other ways, but we've, you've got to get that sort of emotional reaction. Claire doesn't need to invest in the characters, but she does need to be intrigued. That is an emotion too. So uh, Chandler Jill says, lovely, lovely description, strong writing, not gives a conflict or stakes. Uh, Claire, Claire goes on to say, character may be good or your buddy, um, so I may not want to care about them. And Johnny says, fine show, all involved. And congrats on your first appearance, Joseph. You've been reviewed, Joseph, and found not wanting. In fact, the opposite of wanting, whatever that is, you've been found to be profligate or something. Is that right? No, it's not right. I've got it wrong there. <laughs> yeah, Johnny has found you Appreciated. Something like that. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's much better. You can tell he's a writer, can't you? Um, Carol says, I agree with Matt. I wasn't, it wasn't really regression therapy. That's why I thought it was Hannibal Lecter voice. He has got that slight feeling. Abundant. Thank you, Dave. All these, oh, I'm going to get, yeah, uh, it's a thesaurus full of the genius room now. And won't we'll, we'll get home for hours. Um, yeah, it wasn't really regression therapy. That's why I thought it was Hannibal Lecter. And it what, there was the slight creepiness of that. Slight. But could have played that a bit more. Let's look at the numbers. You got a 54, Norrie. Um, I like the title almost as much as the Genius Room did. Joseph and Matt weren't big on the title. Blurb, very low from Joseph. Just didn't make him um, want to pick it up, really. Um, but you've got very good marks for craft, which is very encouraging, actually, Nori. So you should take that away. And also, of course, just flashback to the genius room. 
our final encounter with Jen's room today. And as I always say, just I'll just freeze frame read every single comment from the Jen's room. Claire says, Nori, I would buy this book. I totally got it. That's great. That's that's good to know and very encouraging for Nori. And Johnny has just come in with something that's so small I can't read it. Yes, yes. Okay, right. I don't. I don't know what he's saying. He's reviewing the show, the whole show now, and I'm going to. I'm going to shuffle off before uh, we get too uh, too personal. So, um, have we got a winner? We have got a winner, actually. Yes, here it is. It's jazz. It's jazz. Not again. You're such a winner. You're such a winner. I can't believe it. Blimey. You just keep winning. Cool, blimey. Stone the cries or whatever else I can say. So, there's our go. Yeah, so um, has it been a decent show today? Uh, let's let's get... Re- everyone's been reviewing you like mad, Joseph. The least you can do is, is a return. What's the compliment? Just be honest. How has it been? Has it been nerve-wracking? Have you been forced to hang out with socially deprived and deprived people what's what's been like for you i first of all this is a a unique experience um and i i love it i hope i can come back yeah no no i i love your form i love the format i love the the concept i enjoy talking about literature especially the way you're the way you're presenting it and then i I don't know. I just, I think it's unique. I, I think it's unique. Um, no one else is doing it. So, so uh, no, I, I hope to come back, really. I- well, we hope you come back too. Yes, we do. And thank you for reviewing this. And thank you for um, not reviewing um, Matt's head, actually. Um, <laughs> because there is a contractual clause there, actually, for business from talking about, oh, my God. I've just, oh, I've just, re- I've just annulled the contract. Is that awful? I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. Well. Anyway, um, I'm flustered now. So the best thing I can do is to say, please, be with us again same time next week.